The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We all have those thoughts that will not die. Along with many other thought distractions, these can keep us from thinking clearly and focusing on what we desire and who we can be. This is Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. What if you could learn to command the power of thought and make the laws of the universe work in your favor? It can be done, and it just takes some adjustments to become a thought genius. Now, here is your host, Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin. Well, welcome to this week's episode of uh, Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage, and uh, we have uh, back for a... Uh, Another segment, uh, part two of the ongoing discussion with Dr. Dawson Church. Uh, for those of you that uh, aren't familiar with uh, Dawson, uh, he is uh, an award-winning author, best-selling books. Uh, uh, the one that I just couldn't put down and just thoroughly love and continue to, you know, just flip open to a page and read that is the the genie in your genes, and uh, I recommend that highly to everybody. Uh, he's been hailed by reviewers as a, a, a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotions and genetics, and we certainly have had some lively discussions about that, and we'll have another one here today. Uh, Dawson also founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare in order to study and implement promising evidence-based psych- uh, psychological and medical techniques. His uh, groundbreaking research has been published in uh, many prestigious scientific journals. Uh, He's also the editor of Energy Psychology, Theory, Research, and Treatment, uh, which is a peer-reviewed professional journal. Uh, He's a a blogger for the Huffington Post and uh, shares how to apply breakthroughs of energy psychology to health and athletic performance. Dawson, uh, welcome to the show this week. Jeff, it's great to be here again. Thanks for having me back. Oh, just I love spending time and working with you. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the genomes. Uh, a lot of people, they aren't really familiar with genomes and, you know, epigenetics and things like that. You know, uh, as I was skimming through uh, your book, looking for things that we might uh, consider talking about, and um, and I ran across something that, that kind of hit uh, close to home here. And so in a lot of my lectures, I talk about a topic of nature versus nurture. And I jokingly always say, and we now know scientifically, the answer to that is yes. And right. so a- as a hypothetical example, what I would use in, in my lectures and so forth is if my mother was fearful and anxious when I was being conceived and born, then my cells would be, cells would be encoded that way. So in your book, you say that when stress proteins are present during fetal development, that they can shape the anatomy or the rate of growth of a child. And stress may be uh, momentary, and so the arousal of those early genes can be brief, 
yet the effects triggered by activation of the genes uh, can act upon uh, and may, be, may have uh, long-term changes in an individual. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, this is very interesting research, Jeff, and um, it shows that stressed mothers have lower birth weight children. So the stress of the mother is affecting the fetal development of the child, and certain molecules, certain hormones, certain neurotransmitters, certain uh, biological substances cross the the barrier of the placenta. So the placenta doesn't let everything in, but it does let certain things in. And one of the things that does get through that barrier are some of those stress hormones like cortisol. So if the mother, for example, is highly stressed, then those molecular signals of stress, those cortisol molecules, are crossing through into the placenta, into the child. And so literally this child is there swimming in amniotic fluid. It's supposed to be in this totally safe space. And yet these molecules of anxiety, depression, stress are literally bathing that fetus while it's developing. And that, amongst other things, inhibits the growth of the fetus. So we are often learning the biochemistry of stress. We're learning the molecular signals of stress while we're in the womb before we're even born. So many of us come out with much too high a set point for cortisol, adrenaline, and other kinds of of stress hormones and the, the, this whole idea of set points and how you alter those set points can you even alter those set points if you've learned to have high stress high cortisol is it even possible to reconfigure the way the set points that you were born with that you were learning in the womb and that that topic now is really really one of that's fascinating me you know i think about um, things in my own life uh, and when as you're talking about set points and you know i have um you know, spent some time in the military and was a uh, uh, aircraft controller and uh, was a pilot, and seemed to have taken on jobs that are often related to high stress, and have found you know for the most part I've handled those those pretty well. Uh, do you think that that uh, condition you're talking about being bathed in those hormones um, may? push a person in one direction or another, those people who uh, can handle high-stress situations and those that don't. Jeff, that is an excellent and fascinating question. And the, the short answer is that our bodies are meant to have a very, very fast and a very, very effective stress response because that's what kept us out of danger. So our ancestors needed that lightning-fast response to stress to escape from the tiger, to escape from the snake, to escape from the hostile tribes, to compete for resources. So that was highly adaptive to have that stress response. And so our bodies are not harmed generally. Our bodies are not damaged if we have to run away from a barking dog or if we see a oblivious driver back through the parking lot and we run, run out of the way to avoid getting hit. That kind of stress response is uh, is really appropriate. And in my book, The Gene in Your Genes, I talk about the whole class of genes that codes for these stress hormones and they're called immediate early genes, IEGs, because they turn on in a couple of seconds. You don't want to have a, if, if the tiger's running at you, if the barking dog's running at you, you don't really want it to take 15 minutes for your stress response to kick in and have that adrenaline surging through your bloodstream. You want it to kick in in a second. So 
those genes do exactly that. And we've been bred selectively, actually, for millennia now to have a quick stress response. So that kind of stress is fine. I, I for example, like, um, I love early, like, 70s, 60s British sports cars. And so I'll go for a ride with my buddies. And one of, one of the few totally frivolous things I do is I go for these, these sports car rides. In fact, I have one planned for this coming weekend, and it's our annual Valentine's Day ride, and so we'll be doing taking these hairpin bends at speed in 40-year-old cars. Now, a little, little, little bit of stress, a little bit of adrenaline there, totally fine. We reach the other end of the, of the drive, feeling exhilarated. That kind of stress, uh, the the, the doctor who really, really developed the whole concept of stress was a doctor called Hans Selye, S-E-L-Y-E, in the 1920s. And he divided stress into two poles. And one was distress, bad stress, and eustress, like euphoric stress, good stress. And so that little bit of stress is, is absolutely fine. And so if you have to run away from the dog, if you're, if you're uh, doing something fun like skiing, a challenging slope, that little bit of stress keeps you sharp. Where stress is corrosive and where cortisol is corrosive is if you have prolonged exposure to those stress hormones. Our body was not designed for an hour or 10 hours or 10 years of stress. And even though you were able to survive a career in the military without, uh, with the tools, with the ability to handle that, about a third of those, for example, coming back from Afghanistan and, and Iraq, are testing positive for PTSD, about 30% test positive for PTSD, and they have very, very high levels of stress, and their cortisol is stuck on high all the time. They're at high alert. I remember being in, in uh, the Cannon office building in Washington, D.C., waiting to talk to a Congress member with a young lieutenant who'd been in the Battle of Fallujah, and this guy was really, really handsome, he was smart, he was young, he was, he was articulate, he was funny, and I thought, this guy is really together. But yet, he'd, he'd been suffering from PTSD, and he said, Dawson, you don't realize it, but I'm sitting with my back to the wall. I'm scanning everybody who walks in the door to make sure they don't have an explosive vest hidden under their clothing. And I'm on high alert right now, even though I'm laughing and joking. Now, bear in mind, we aren't in, um, we aren't in Damascus, Syria. We're sitting in the... Cannon office building in Washington D.C., one of the best protected buildings in the world, most secure buildings. And this and this young guy, unfortunately, has inappropriate distress. His 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 stress levels are, are turned up high. And what happens with high cortisol over time is really unfortunate. If you look at studies, and again in the Gene and Your Genes, I have a page where I, I reel off all of these the results of this research. But high cortisol over a prolonged period of time like that results in reduced memory and learning. In fact, it reduced results in shrinkage of the brain regions that are responsible for memory and learning. It results in osteoporosis and lack of bone density, loss of bone density, loss of muscle mass, loss of skin elasticity. You wrinkle faster. You see these refugees sometimes. They're, they're 35 or 40, and they look 60 or 70 because, again, that heavy wrinkling and skin degradation as a result of high cortisol. So all of these negative effects in your body as a result of an inappropriate level of stress long after the immediate danger is passed. So immediate danger, Jeff, like when you're taking off from a carrier deck or something like that, that's fine. Remembering that and being in a high stress about it a year later, 10 years later, that's really not fine for your body or your sense of emotional well-being. Yeah, that seems to be a really important point of 
uh, how we all experience the world. Uh, it, it makes me wonder if uh, there isn't uh, some social conditioning that uh, so much of our world, uh, you turn on the news and there are all these uh, events that are happening, uh, shootings and violence and all kinds of things that are going on, uh, and you switch from one station to another. But over some period of time, uh, perhaps we're getting socially conditioned so that uh, the world becomes uh, of a fearful place or that um, the the energy that is being put out there uh, has us all on high alert and and uh, and so we we tend to see situations where we we live in a more aggressive social environment than we used to be and have to protect ourselves. How much of that kind of situation is playing into what we experience every day? The disconnect between reality and perception is absolutely enormous. For example, a recent Gallup poll looked at the uh, the economy, which of course has improved tremendously in the last six or seven years, and the employment rate is half what it was four or five years ago. And the Gallup poll was asking if um, it was asking people if the economy has improved or not, and. Two-thirds of Americans said the economy had not improved. Um, the, uh, they, they, they found that two-thirds of young people thought that mortgage rates were at an historic high, whereas, in fact, the exact opposite is true, that mortgage rates are at an historic low. So there's the, there are these in, enormous gaps between, in fact, another statistic from the 90s was that we know that violent crime has dropped precipitously in the last 30 years, but people's perception of violent crime is that it's increased because they've fed all of these negative images. So there's this huge gap between reality. And, and you know, the, the, the tragic thing about this isn't the violent crime. It's that this robs us of our peace of mind. We're supposed to be lo- having loving, nurturing time with our families. My wife and I have a practice called love bathing. And we do this usually in the morning and in the evening. We get home from work. We sit and talk to each other on the couch. If we're, if we're going to have wine that night, we'll have a glass of wine. And we'll just love bathe. We'll just immerse ourselves in all the positive things that happened that day, rehearsing the good. And that way we're building neural connections in our brains to do with those good things. If instead, what I used to do before, <laughs> before I figured out how dumb this was, I used to get back home and I'd say to my wife, oh, you won't believe this thing that happened. There's this, there's this, there's, there's this research project. I just got rejected by this prestigious medical journal. And it's the third rejection. And... I, I'm, it's such a problem. I don't know where I'm going to get it. So I would reel off to her all of these problems at work, the cash flow problem, the meeting payroll, blah, blah, blah. And I realized that there were transient problems. They'd come and go every week. But what she was hearing every week was all the bad stuff. And at one point, I mean, it was literally on a Monday, I, I thought, why on earth am I bringing this into my intimate time with my wife? emotionally intimate time in the evening, so I quit. I literally quit. For, I went cold turkey from one day to the other. I quit talking to her about all the bad stuff. I told her only about the opportunities we had, the good, good stuff, and then you can condition yourself that way. So in terms of that, that, that bad stuff, turn it off. It will not help you to see it. I, I don't watch the news. I do read a weekly news magazine, but I, so I know what's, what's going on a week later, but I don't watch the news. I don't listen to the news. I, I used to listen to NPR. I used to turn on my, and I'm not slamming NPR or any other station, but I used to get into my car and turn on NPR to quote unquote, I'm making air quotes here with my fingers that you can't see, to stay informed, okay? But how, how does it help me to hear every single 
bloody detail of the Syrian civil war. All it does is drive my cortisol sky high when there's nothing whatsoever I can do about it. So I'm importing all the stress into my own life. So I, I think there's this huge gap between reality, which is we live in a reasonably peaceful world, we live in a reasonably secure world, we have unbelievable blessings and wonderful things happening for us all the time. We're alive, we're breathing, we're moving. Even if we have pains, disappointments, everyone has pains, disappointments, tragedies in their lives, and yet we have this amazing ability to be resilient and to focus on the good. If you focus on the good, you then literally start to build up, bulk up those parts of your brains. And it, it, I, I, I can promise you, I can I give you a 100% guarantee, if you quit listening to that media, and those news stories that have all that negative stuff, nothing in your life will get worse. Your life will actually get better if you unplug yourself from those sources of negative information. So fill your life with inspiring ideas, great classes, good information, great books, wonderful lectures, inspiring quotes. That's what to focus on. And when you marinate your consciousness and that kind of stuff, you literally change your brain and produce a much happier, healthier, saner, and more peaceful life for yourself. You know, I think we can all relate to that. Uh, you know, we've all been there, done that, have the T-shirt. And, <laughs> right. uh, and so uh, uh, I think uh, we'll... we'll uh, Spend a little more time talking about that and a few other subjects that we've got here. Uh, so let's take a short break. Uh, you're listening to Help My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you find that some of your hopes and dreams aren't happening the way you thought they would? Maybe your power of intention needs fine-tuning. The latest scientific research indicates that the problem is related to your subconscious belief patterns. They determine your behavior, as well as create the message that is being broadcast into the field. Only 5% of what we think about comes through the conscious thinking part of our brain, and the rest is processed through the subconscious part of our brain. You need the Thought Genius Kit. The Thought Genius Kit is an amazing combination of tools and technology that is not sold in stores anywhere. But you can get it from ThoughtGenius.com. If you want to know what your subconscious thinks and feels about something, all you have to do is think about it and watch the indicators on the screen. The Thought Genius Kit also comes with a lifetime subscription for creating your own mind movies. Get more information and read scientific research before you order the Thought Genius Kit at ThoughtGenius.com. That's ThoughtGenius.com. On It's Absolutely All About You, host Eileen Nunez bases her show on the forthcoming book of the same name. If you've been taught to hold your head high and keep your self-esteem in check, where do you go if you aren't yet achieving that goal? Each program is based on a chapter of the book and comes from Eileen's many years of experience in order to help you find your inner peace. Listen for It's Absolutely All About You, live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
you are listening to Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. To reach Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to radioshow at thoughtgenius.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, we're back with my guest, Dr. Dawson Church, and uh, we've been talking about stress, uh, something that I think everybody can relate to. Um, You know, that uh, when I travel and uh, uh, do that quite a bit, uh, and especially when when I was an airline pilot, uh, that uh, traveling from time zone to time zone and uh, dealing with circadian rhythms, and how those um, uh, affect our uh, thoughts, our ability to perform, and and whatnot. I think a lot of people don't really have a good understanding of uh, what circadian rhythms, and uh, you know, more importantly, what uh, ultradian rhythms do, and how they they affect us. Uh, could we talk about that a little bit? I'd love to, and um, the genetic components of those rhythms as well. Yes. Well, the circadian rhythm is the one that we're f- familiar with. We have this daily rhythm of sleep and wake. So at a certain point, we wake up in the morning. Unless you have a set po- time you have to wake up, you wake up naturally at a certain point, and you get drowsy at a certain point as well. That isn't just a psychological phenomenon. It's also a physiological one. We have what are called clock genes that regulate are sleep and wake cycles. And for example, if you look at your cortisol rhythm, and I, I, by the way, I'd recommend that you do this. I'd recommend that you go and get a cortisol test. They're inexpensive and they're little saliva swabs and you'll find four to six of them in a test. You'll chew on them for a couple of minutes, put them back in a vial, mail them off to the lab. Don't, they don't require a prescription. And the lab will then show you what your cortisol rhythm is. Now, you'll need the help of a doctor or somebody skilled at interpreting that to know what it means, but I really recommend you get familiar with with your cortisol rhythms. And so, that's your daily rhythm. Your cortisol is usually in a normal cycle highest at about 8 a.m. So, when it's 4 a.m., it starts to rise. 6 a.m., it really spikes up. 8 a.m., it's at its peak. So, you're up you're about, you're motivated, and you're into your day around 8 a.m. Then around 4 p.m. it starts to decline, and then it's at its lowest point at midnight usually. So you have this, this very smooth rhythm, and that's your circadian rhythm, and it's governed by those hormones like testosterone, human growth hormone, cortisol, and so on. But what people are much less aware of is your ultradian rhythm. Now, these are many peaks and troughs that occur in those big peaks and troughs. We have the big peak and trough of your circadian rhythms. Then we have those many peaks and troughs of your ultradian rhythms, and those last for about two hours. So, for example, say you're at your workstation, you're working away on a project, you're fascinated, you're drawn into it, you're really focused on it, but then after a while, you just start to lose focus, you just feel there's any need to break, and you get up and go to the bathroom, you go to the coffee machine, you go get some water or something. What's happening is that after a couple of hours of work, your ultradian rhythms are kicking in, and you need need a break. 
So if you honor that natural body hormonal cycle and go take a break, then after five, ten minutes, you feel refreshed, you go back into your task, you feel good. If, uh, as many of us do, if you override those ultradian rhythms, then after uh, six hours, seven hours, you have what we call an ultradian deficit. In my book, I talk about how this shows off many people in the middle of the afternoon. They're feeling drowsy, they're feeling unfocused, and what they've done is they haven't taken those breaks every two hours to honor their ultradian rhythms. So once you start to be aware of your ultradian rhythms, you'll start to work with them rather than against them. For example, if you, uh, we, I teach many live workshops every year, and in my live workshops, we make sure that all of our sessions are a maximum of two hours, usually 90 minutes, and then people take a break, come back refreshed, and can learn again. You may be really fascinated by the material, but if you start start to stretch it to three hours or four hours, you'll lose focus because of those rhythms. So again, learning about these rhythms, you can make them work for you. You take that break, you come back refreshed, you're much more productive. So learning your body cycles, learning to tune into your body, listening to your body is one of those vital skills we have. And many of us actually have learned to override that and not hear our bodies. But our ultradian rhythms are a great way to get back in tune with our, our natural body cycles. You know, you uh, mentioned something about ultradian uh, deficit, a uh, very intriguing term there. Does that have an effect over time, or is it just a cycle that, that uh, uh, once you have a certain amount of deficit, it doesn't mean anything anymore? I think uh, for well, the way it showed up for me was I used to run a large $10 million publishing and distribution company. And I know that I used to have a kind of a crash mid-afternoon. And so what I would do, not, again, this is a couple of decades ago, I knew nothing about epigenetics. I knew nothing about ultradian rhythms. And I really wasn't in touch with my body. I was probably you know, 60, 80 pounds overweight. I was extremely stressed. I was working six and a half days a week. And... Um, what I would do is I would go to the candy machine and I'd buy a Snickers bar or two. And I'd have the sugar. It would spike my blood sugar. I'd go back to work. Again, that, that is about the worst solution you can imagine for, for that ultradian deficit. And so I just thought that was the way my body worked. I thought, oh, okay, you just, you know, I work like a demon for seven hours, then I have a total crash around 3 p.m. So that's when I go and have that bar. Now, I've got to say, I, I uh, just looking at my face and pictures of me from that period, in about five years, I aged about 20 years. It's very interesting to look at yourself, look at photographs of yourself during periods of stress, and you'll see you age. We have both a chronological age. I can tell you I'm 60 years old, but I also have a biological age. And studies of identical twins show that the, the, the ages of those twins can, even though they're the same, the same chronological age, so both twins are, say, 30 years old. But when researchers look at their biological age, the age of their, their cells, they might find that one twin is 25 years old and the other one is 35 years old. So if you get into a habit of overriding these biological cycles, those uh, that, that, that overriding of your ultradian rhythms, that being out of touch with your body, that in engaging in stressful lifestyles and then keeping them over time, that results in per premature aging of your cells. And Jeff, one of the shocking studies I quote in the Gene in Your Gene shows that stressed people, this is in the new edition of the book, came out just a couple of years ago, but it shows that stressed people live shorter lives than unstressed people, not by a year or two, 
but by between 9 and 15 years. So if you are out of touch with your body, if you are stressed, you're literally cutting sometimes over a decade of healthy life off your lifespan. You know, that uh, really speaks a lot to uh, uh, recent popularity of energy drinks and how many people I see, you know, uh, in different places where they're, uh, you know, just chugging down these energy drinks to drive their body harder. And uh, that's going to have some pretty serious health consequences in the future. Um, I also know that uh, ultradian cycles have a lot to do with the cycles of our moods. So with what we've been talking about and this uh, ultradian deficit, and is that why people tend to get in more of a negative mood as time goes along, even even in a day or two days or three days, where they're not changing that ultradian rhythm and trying to replenish it? Seems like those two go together. It does. And what I would find personally was when I was in that that funk in the middle of the afternoon, I was irritable, I was touchy, I was easily triggered. And so you don't have all of the psychological and spiritual resources you have when you're honoring those rhythms. Also, doing things like chugging those energy drinks, um, I if you're 20 or 30, you're still bulletproof. and You can stick pretty much anything in your body. You can drink excessively, you can do drugs, you can uh, eat all kinds of stuff and you still have a huge amount of, of, of just sheer biological resilience. But you 20 or 30-year-olds, when you're 40, when you're 50, the picture changes radically. And I'm so aware that everything, like I went to my dentist the other day, and I got a big Betty laugh from everyone in the room when I said, okay, guys, I want you to take care of these teeth as though... They're going to last me till I'm a hundred. <laughs> and they'd never heard a patient say that before. It's like, but are you taking care of yourselves like you want to be healthy at a hundred? Or uh, we, uh, I just happened to have an interaction recently with somebody with senile dementia. This guy used to run a major corporation, was, uh, was, was friends with, with world leaders, uh, was highly respected, Fortune 500 corporate executive. And again, now... Uh, prematurely aged, all that stress has really, really done a lot of damage to his cells and uh, in pretty much unable to to speak, very very little cognitive ability. And um, so who do you want to be when you're 70, when you're 80, when you're 90? Do you want to be on a respirator? And everything you eat now, everything you drink now, everything you smoke now, but more important than what you smoke, you know, if, if, if you get, if, if Jeff, if, if, if I were to balance somebody who smoked, drank to excess, and ate horrible food, but took care of their thoughts versus someone who took care of their thoughts, uh, uh, didn't take care of their thoughts, I would bet on the person who took care of their thoughts. Your thoughts are able to nudge those biochemicals like cortisol and adrenaline so rapidly. Beliefs, attitudes, intuition, energy, intention, those things have a powerful effect. So, um, Think about every single thought that goes through your mind as determining what kind of a life you have when you're 70, 80, 90 years old. One study found that people who have an optimistic style have an eight 
year longer lifespan than pessimists. There's some ambiguous research about this. There's also a lot of really clear research showing that optimism adds years and adds happy and healthy years to your life. So with every thought you think, you are literally determining the kind of old age you'd have. And I would recommend getting really, really focused on this when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40. So you're building the cells that you'll have. You're building the body you'll have when you're 90 by your actions, your thoughts, and your behaviors when you're 30 and 40. You know, we have some technology today that's uh, really helping us understand uh, what our perceptions are, what we think about, and what our emotions are. Uh, in fact, uh, that's part of the Thought Genius Kit that uh, we we sell, and uh, people are having some amazing experiences with that, where it has four electrodes, you know, two in the front and two behind the ears, where uh, all you have to do is think of something and it will measure whether you have a positive or negative perception about whatever it is you're thinking about. And it will also let you know whether you have positive or negative emotions about that. So we may think that we have a positive association to something when really in our belief structure, we have a, a negative association uh, to that. And, and I think it's amazing that we do live in an in a era of technology that can help us um, kind of iron out some of those thought uh, processes that uh, maybe we have a little bit of a distorted perception, and then uh, using things like mind movies to be able to help um, train our brain into those kinds of thought processes and emotions that are going to be working uh, with us instead of against us. Absolutely. Um, and it happens in a second. So it, it's not like somebody has that negative cognition, that negative thought, and it takes an hour to show up on your scan. It shows up immediately. They have that thought. And what that's also doing, that isn't just a thought. That's also sending a signal through your autonomic nervous system to the, the medulla, the, the lining of your adrenal glands, which makes not just cortisol, but also makes your main health hormone, which is DHEA. And so your adrenal medulla is getting that signal. It's then either shifting production of the, those biochemical precursors toward making more of your main cell repair hormone, DHEA, or toward your main stress hormone, DHEA, because they're both made from the same two biological building blocks. And so a person has a thought, you see them on your device, the thought is there immediately, and that's sending an immediate signal to produce those biochemical messengers, which then go all over your body. So by your thoughts, moment by moment, you're literally shaping the internal biochemical environment of your body, and you're building neural habits. Have that thought over and over and over again. It becomes a bigger neural bundle because you're sending signals through that neural bundle more and more, so your body then creates more synaptic connections, makes you better at sending that neural signal. But then if you break the habit, if you love bathe in the evening rather than go watch that the news, then you're making those circuits of love, of peace, of appreciation, of gratitude, of happiness, bigger and bigger and bigger. And then maybe you have a bad thing, maybe you get fired, maybe you go bankrupt, maybe you lose your house, okay? But now you have this brain in which you, you don't, you're not happy by accident, 
you're happy deliberately. You've, you've cultivated all the neural bundles of resilience, of joy, and so you bounce back really quickly. You have a positive frame through which you see the negative event. It, it's, it's amazing. We, I do a lot of work in my nonprofit with veterans, and people will go from seeing the same tragedy. Their, their best friend was killed in Vietnam, or they, um, they had to put bodies in body bags in Iraq, and there was hardly a body to put in a body bag because it's blown into so many pieces. Like, terrible traumas. And yet, if they have this resilience, they are then able to handle those kinds of, of extreme traumatic experiences. If they haven't built that mental habit of resilience, they don't have that, and they then go on to catastrophize, remember the bad stuff, relive the negative experiences, have flashbacks, have nightmares, build up those parts of the brain. And then, even if something good does happen to them, they say, well, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. They've got this pessimistic explanatory style. And then it's killing them. When they're 70, 80, 90, the, those, those habits of a lifetime have kicked in, and that's where those studies are showing. They have much shorter lifespans, and they have higher rates of diseases like hepatitis, uh, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and cancer. You know, that's one of the things that we can show in the brain map. We see that all the time. When we're doing a process called Loretta, low-resolution electromagnetic tomography, and we can see where there are elevations of uh, activity in the brain, either on the left frontal lobe or the right frontal lobe, and uh, uh, people find that very interesting when I say, you know, you, you seem to have more positive thoughts than negative thoughts, or just the other way around, you have more negative thoughts than positive thoughts, and... Uh, they find that kind of interesting because it pretty much holds true and we have that technology that can um, uh, help us see and understand that. So we'll come back with more of this conversation in just a few minutes and uh, you're listening to Help My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Do you find that some of your hopes and dreams aren't happening the way you thought they would? Maybe your power of intention needs fine-tuning. The latest scientific research indicates that the problem is related to your subconscious belief patterns. They determine your behavior as well as create the message that is being broadcast into the field. Only 5% of what we think about comes through the conscious thinking part of our brain, and the rest is processed through the subconscious part of our brain. You need the Thought Genius Kit. The Thought Genius Kit is an amazing combination of tools and technology that is not sold in stores anywhere. But you can get it from ThoughtGenius.com. If you want to know what your subconscious thinks and feels about something, all you have to do is think about it and watch the indicators on the screen. The Thought Genius Kit also comes with a lifetime subscription for creating your own mind movies. Get more information and read scientific research before you order the Thought Genius Kit at ThoughtGenius.com. That's ThoughtGenius.com. Do you feel alone even when you're surrounded by others? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April J. Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to help you find out who you are. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, 
and other such curveballs. She'll help you every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. To reach Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to radioshow at thoughtgenius.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, we're back with my guest, uh, Dr. Dawson Church, and we've been talking about uh, circadian and ultradian rhythms and how that affects our life. You know, one aspect of that that I find really, really interesting as I was kind of thumbing through your book looking for things that we might talk about today, and I know there's a lot of researchers who don't believe that we can control these rhythms, that it's not under our conscious control, and... uh, Yet there are many people, and I'm one of those myself, that go to bed and they're able to tell themselves exactly what time they want to get up. And I haven't used an alarm clock for I don't know how long, but I'll do that. I'll tell myself, well, I need to get up at 7 or I need to get up at 5.30 or I need to get up like this morning. I, before I went to bed, I said, I've got some uh, reading I want to do and, I, and before I do my meditation, and I want to get up at 4.30. And I woke up at 4.28. <laughs> but that happens all the time. Right. Right. Yeah, for me too. I have the same kind of inbuilt clock. I also did an experiment when I was a teenager. I uh, got rid of my watch because I, 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 I had this, just these experience. I, I had friends, and again, this is, the, this is the days before digital watches, and I'd be sitting in a, in a cafe with friends at university, and one would say, they'd say, what's the time? When, when's the next class? And someone would say, oh, uh, they'd look at their watch and say, oh, it's 10.20 right now. And someone else looks at their watch and says, no, it's 10.30 right now. And I'd say, well, it's actually 10.22. I find out this ability to tell time. So I quit wearing a watch and didn't have, have one for a long time. So we, we can cultivate those abilities. We can cultivate those abilities to then, then awake, program ourselves. And the cool thing, too, is that I, I tell people who are flying between time zones, you actually can do this. Uh, I also recommend you use acupressure with this. So I have people do, use a couple of little tricks like grounding. If you ground yourself by standing in wet grass with, with bare feet, in the place you go to, you then reorient your body to the electromagnetic signature of that that location on the Earth. So you can use grounding, you can use spinning like the dervishes do when you get to your destination. You can tap, use EFT, and just say things like, I am now alive, tuned to local time. So there are all kinds of ways of shaping your experience this way. And so it's a fascinating dance between mind and genes, consciousness and genes. And we're the first generation, Jeffrey, really to be applying this on a, on a large scale. We're the first generation of people to be calming ourselves, to be detaching ourselves from the stress response, to be learning to meditate. Meditation is huge. Yoga, EFT, heart math, all of these wonderful techniques now are practiced by millions and millions of people. So we're using consciousness to shift ourselves into beneficial gene expression. And um, 
I talk a lot in my live workshops about how this is literally shaping the trajectory of evolution because we now have a conscious species engaging consciousness and shifting gene expression based on conscious goals, which we've never had before in the history of evolution. Yeah, we're seeing more and more people who are um, more aware and that their consciousness has uh, been heightened and uh, all of the things that, that uh, are moving that. Bef- I don't know that there was as much awareness as there is now that people uh, were doing things individually and now we seem to be coming together in communities and uh, a much more critical mass in changing the uh, the consciousness of uh, the worlds that we are creating for ourselves. Um, and that kind of brings me to the next topic. You know, uh, we talk about um, experience-dependent genes and how they impact our life. Maybe we can have a little conversation about that and how neurogenesis works and, and in, uh, not only the experience-dependent gene, but also the behavioral uh, state uh, gene. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I mentioned immediate early genes earlier, and I talk about those in the gene in your genes, but I also give you a quick tour of concepts like behavioral state-related genes, and those are just states of awareness like being asleep, being awake, being really upset, being angry, being um, really relaxed. All of those are behavioral states that affect gene expression. Obviously, if you're highly stressed, then your cortisol goes up. So the gene that codes for cortisol, and there's not just one gene, there's a whole series of them, but the the genes that code for cortisol then are being activated by that emotional state. Uh, Experience-dependent genes are so interesting. I cover those in Chapter 3 of The Gene in Your Genes, and those are genes that are activated by learning and novelty. For example, Uh, Stem cells. Stem cells are hugely important, and they are blank cells, which can be formed. They're like putty. They can be formed in any shape you like. So you can take a piece of putty, take a piece of clay, and you can make a shape of a horse or a dog or a cat or a cow or a teapot or or, or the Starship Enterprise. You can make any any shape you like out of that that piece of clay. Stem cells are like that. They can differentiate into nerve cells, muscle cells, skin cells, stomach lining cells, all kinds of different cells. So they're, they're floating around our bodies, and one of the measures of health is how many circulating stem cells you have. So, for example, these experienced dependent genes are the ones that help our stem cells differentiate to replace injured or damaged cells. So, say you get a cut in your finger and it goes down to the bone. Uh, Some stem cells will differentiate into bone cells, others into epithelial cells, skin cells, others into muscle cells. And experienced dependent genes are what what trigger that, but they're especially responsive to novelty, learning, new activities. And one of the astonishing studies that was published in the 1990s, which just upended our, our beliefs about the way we human beings work, were geriatric studies of people in their 80s who were learning new skills, learning a new language, learning a new hobby, learning a new activity, and they found that this uh, this 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 activity of learning that new skill was producing bursts of neural growth in the parts of the brain that govern that. If they're learning a new language, then Broca's area, which governs language, was processing those new language signals, 
and growing new neurons. The hippocampus, the main seat of memory and learning in the emotional brain, the limbic system, that was growing and expanding. So we're literally triggering the growth of new neurons by novelty and learning. Now, the good news is that novelty does that, but it requires repetition for it to, to take. So again, to go back to that veteran who's, say, in, uh, in our stress reduction program, and that veteran sitting in the therapist's office and for the first time talks about their friend dying in Vietnam and has a sense of emotional relief, that's wonderful, but that novelty has to be reinforced. So that veteran has to be able to replay that scene later on without the emotional triggering several times usually before the association between the, the friend dying and the emotional trigger is, is released. EFT does this really, really fast. Um, mo many therapies can do it, but um, you have to reinforce that positive learning. So, for example, if you have a good experience and you're replacing a bad experience, you have that good experience and savor that experience for a while for it to take. The magic number, according to Rick Hansen, who wrote the book Buddha's Brain, is 20 seconds. It takes 20 seconds of repetition to trigger this technical term neurogenesis, the generation of new neurons. So you have to savor that good experience. So when I see the sunset or see the dawn, or right now there are roses blooming outside my window, I don't hurry by and say, how nice. <laughs> I stand there for a minute, 20 seconds, maybe maybe three times 20 seconds, and I, I savor them. When I sit with my wife in the evening, I don't rattle off things that happen during the day. I slow my pace down and savor the moment for several minutes. That's building new pleasure neurons in your brain. So those experience-dependent genes are the ones that trigger that, that kind of shift. But learning is important, novelty is important, and repetition is really, really, really important. So those highly attentive states of awareness will switch on those genes and then reinforcement is what creates permanent long-term neural pathways. You know, it's, it's interesting along those lines uh, when we're doing the, uh, the work at Dr. Dispenza's advanced uh, meditation workshops. And over the last three years, we've measured numerous people who have been having unique experiences, you know, during that time. Um, and and uh, have seen really profound brain maps in the the kinds of things uh, where there it, it some of them look like we just took a handful of color crayons and ran them up and down the screen when we're looking at the EEG uh, strip on that and we've learned how to break that down so that we can see exactly what's uh, uh, coming into play and so these people are having these unique experiences for a couple of hours or longer during these meditations and you say it takes you know, approximately 20 seconds in order to activate uh, those bundle of neurons to to uh, change, make some changes there I'm wondering what the effect is when you've been having that experience for a couple of hours because when I 
talk with these people afterward, they're all telling me how much they want to get back to that experience, you know, that, that in their meditation, some can do it, some can't. So it's kind of an interesting phenomenon that as we see them rewiring their brains to a heightened level of awareness and consciousness. So I think we have a couple more minutes before the end of the show here to finish this topic off. Well, we all have transcendent experiences, and there's a whole another branch of research, and we can spend actually a whole show on this, Jeff, about uh, children. And children have transcendent experiences, teenagers especially, around 15. Many of them report these. They, don't, they aren't, aren't well known. But we have these experiences where we sort of glimpse the face of God, where we have this sense of being one with the universe. But we often then fall back to Earth, and we aren't able to sustain that. So... Yes, we all have those experiences, but my crucial meditation is how do we sustain that? How do you make that your everyday experience? How do you carry that through into the office? I know when I did meditation, learned meditation, the meditation master in my teenage years, the, um, the idea was they did meditation, you finished your time on meditation space, meditation mat, and then you wrapped it up and went into your daily life. And one day I said to myself, Why? Why not carry this elevated mood into my daily life when I go to the office? And I did. And so for the last many decades now, I've been bringing it into my daily experience. And we can learn to actually cultivate this in the middle of traffic, in the middle of kids, in the middle of balancing our checkbook. We bring this elevated transcendent state to every part of our lives. And I can tell you, when you do that, you are living in heaven on earth. Yeah, that, that's truly amazing, and I'm glad that we have so many people like you who are able to uh, articulate that in, in such a prolific manner. So um, we have a few seconds left here. So what's on the horizon for Dawson Church in 2016? Well, I am, of course, practicing cultivating this myself every day, every moment, and every, every part of my life. I'm also questioning the parts of my life where I'm not doing it as successfully and really challenging myself in every single detail of my life. Uh, it's easy to be quite happy with the parts of your life that are going well, where your practice is good, and then be reasonably content about the parts where it's not. I'm not content with the parts where it's not. I want to have this experience in absolutely every single area of my life, even the parts I'm not sure I can. So I'm really focusing on the psychotechnologies that'll do this, that'll shift even what I call long-standing personality structures. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. So that's my, my big focus. You know, I'd like to uh, thank my uh, wonderful guest friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Dawson Church, for taking time out of his very busy schedule to be with us, sharing his uh, wealth of experience, knowledge, and insights. And it certainly is a pleasure to uh, have you on the show, and I'm sure we'll have many, many uh, interesting conversations uh, in the near future. Let's make it a regular thing, and thank you again. You bet. Uh, So I'd like uh, to invite everyone to join us next week for another insightful and inspiring episode of Help My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Thank you for tuning in to the show this week. Please join Dr. Jeffrey Fannin again for another edition of Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have the best week possible.
thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.